This episode of ArcSpeak is brought to you by Arcat. Are you the BIM jockey for your firm? Are you used to the grind of using broad search engines or searching for manufacturer sites only to find they don't have BIM? Are you wrestling with outdated or poorly built objects? It's time to use Arcat.com. Arcat is a free library of over 7,500 BIM objects and systems, all available in multiple formats. Even better, each object is high-quality BIM based on actual manufacturer products. And you don't even have to register to access RCAT's BIM library. Just head over to RCAT.com, that's A-R-C-A-T dot com, and start downloading the BIM objects you need. And thanks to RCAT for sponsoring this episode of ArcaSpeak. Welcome to ArcaSpeak, the podcast that talks about what it's like to work in the profession of architecture. Welcome to episode 159 of the ArcaSpeak podcast. I'm Neil Pan. I'm Evan Troxell. And I'm Cormac Phelan. So on this episode, um, guys, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, something that we've talked a little bit in the past about, and that's um, leadership classes that I've been taking um, for both you know, project managers, for uh, future office leaders, and things like that. And um, one of the things that we were doing, which I thought might be kind of fun for us to kind of try out is um, kind of scenario role playing, mm-hmm. and and what we did was you know we had different you know we we've got leaders in the in any of these courses that are basically you know from people who are newer to the firm you know who don't really know like you know the way that we do things in the office that we've got people who are just like new to leadership roles all the way through to the president of the company and you know so there's a wealth of knowledge and experience that you'll get from each of these people. And even, you know, down to the people who've really never had um, a leadership role, but, you know, may from, you know, kind of like working in the trenches, understand how they would have liked to have handled a situation or things like that. And so it was, it was actually really fun to go through all these different scenarios. And, and what I was thinking is maybe we could just go through a single scenario Um but we've all had, you know, where we've had to deal with, you know, maybe a um, an unruly client or <laughs> unruly client, um, you know, deal with all sorts of different, you know, scenarios, you know, different egos, different, you know, um, attitudes and things like that. You know, sometimes agendas, people, yeah. agendas you know, and stuff. <laughs> and so, um, you know, we had what was what was fun about it is we had all sorts of different scenarios and in. I swear that, you know, some of these scenarios, I was just like, you know, I kind of like looked at, you know, some of the people who were passing them out for us to review them. I was just like, did you use my scenario that I told you about? You know, it's just like, no, it Hitting just close to home. <laughs> yeah, I was just, these are really close to things that I uh, have dealt with before. Um, and so I just wanted to offer you guys up one. And uh, so, you know, I kind of so um, before you before you read it, the purpose of this was to kind of. I, I would assume just to get a lot of different takes on how to handle this kind of situation. So, oh, absolutely. So yes. there's there's a small group that is going to kind of live role play this particular scenario. Like yes. each group gets yeah. a different one, and then yeah. afterwards, there's kind of like you take it apart and critique you, it. And yes, because there's lots of people in the room who've had that experience or how they've dealt with it, and mm-hmm. there's not necessarily a right answer. But there's it's the the goal is to kind of get a lot of different perspectives. Oh, and, true. Uh, yes. And, okay. That was cool. totally that was totally the the take that we were trying to go for is you know um, there are multiple different ways to handle it and there's even you know there sometimes there are right ways and sometimes there are wrong ways to handle it and um, and then there's also people who have never been in a situation like that so they're going to get a little bit of exposure exactly in this case to to see how people handle things and I think one of the cool things about this kind of way of of doing it is that you get exposure to see how different people approach different problem solving and then you start to learn more about them specifically yeah yeah which is cool because as you, as you work your way up like this is something that i mentioned in the last episode but but the one of the things that i'm working on specifically this year is learning how to deal with different personality types right exactly so, and so here you actually start to get to that you by answering this question the way that you answer it you start to reveal somewhat of your personality type and so people learn how to communicate with you 
going through these different role plays, which is, is like a side benefit. Right. Exactly. Cool. Now, Cormac, is this a, this is a class through the company you work for? Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. We, um, so we've recently, and we've got, you know, I guess each year we, we, you know, kind of, um, train for future leaders or current leaders, um, in the office, um, so that, you know, when somebody retires or somebody moves up to a different position or maybe move, leaves the company that, you know, we're, we have training for people who are going to be taking over those roles or, you know, and really the, the great thing about it is, is we really do have everybody in the office will take these courses, these, um, leadership development courses. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even if you're not in a leadership role, at, you know, like the traditional, like, you know, you are the project manager and you are this, I mean, we're all technically leaders in the firm, you know, not only are we vested because we all own the firm, but, you know, we're vested because we want a good working environment. We want good relationships with the people that we work with, you know, and, you know, we want to be able to say that, you know, this is the right way and the wrong way to treat people. (laughs) And, um, and so, you know, it's it's really good that, you know, they're it, it's not just for those select few people, it's for everybody. And like I said, you know, you're sitting in these courses with, you know, people who are either fresh out of school, you know, mid-career people, you know, associate principals, partners in charge, project managers, the president of the company, all are in these courses at the same time. And, you know, you, as, you know, we were just talking about, and Evan just said, you know, you're getting the advantage, you know, you, you're getting the opportunity to kind of feed off of everybody else's experiences, even if you don't have those experiences. So, um, I think it's a, you know, it was a really valuable tool and, um, it's something that, you know, I really kind of encourage everybody to kind of try to be able to do, but, um, so I was going to ask, is this like a, a third party firm that comes in, teaches like uh, you do this during the lunch thing, or is this like a day long sort well, of thing? Just so trying to set the stage a little bit to, for people if they're interested. So what we, we have a, we have a third party person who comes in and she's actually teaches at um, Georgetown university leadership courses and things um, of that nature, you know, and, um, does a, a variety of different types of courses for, um, you know, kind of like, um, coaching and, um, uh, all, all sorts of different things. Sorry. Um, and, uh, so this is mine was, it was three sessions. One, the first session was two days. Then there was two one day sessions, um, where, you know, when we had like a big group session and that's why it was two days. And then we broke up into a smaller, you know, cohort. And then we kind of came back all together, um, with the bigger one to kind of like, you know, do that. But, you know, then there was tasks throughout, you know, it's like coach, the coaching, you know, coach, the coach kind of thing where, you know, like I'd be paired up with a peer coach and, you know, we would, you know, check in on each other, you know, periodically to say, you know, Hey, how are you doing it? And then, you know, there was like, you know, daily goals and, and things like that. So, so, you know, what you want to achieve throughout the day, you know, and, and so it, it kind of helps you, um, set, you know, kind of like set a daily mindset for basically kind of success in managing or success in leading. Let me, let me pull the word managing out of it. Let me just say success in leading. And, and that's really, you know, I, 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 kind of have managing stuck in my head because of the scenario that I want you guys to, uh, to kind of like for us to talk about is cause it is kind of specifically about a, you know, a, a manager, but, um, but this is this, it's a leadership course. And, and so it's okay. So let me get rid of management down with management. <laughs> Take them out. All right. All right. Should I read this one? Sure. Yeah. All right. So this is the, the, situation. All right. You're managing a team of staff working on one of your office's biggest and most important projects. It's nice to know that we have lots of most important projects. You have a very talented designer, Cal, who is leading the team of junior designers. Cal likes to work alone and he's told you that he doesn't think the other staff 
are as capable and committed to the project as he is. We've all been there, right? <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> it's like the group project in school right here. Yeah, I mean, we've all had an evidence. I mean, I'm, I'm Cal. <laughs> <laughs> You've told Cal that he needs to coordinate with Cindy and Janet, who are supporting him on the project. Cindy and Janet have complained to you that Cal has not shared information with them, nor does he copy them in on emails to the client. As a result, there's been duplication of effort and wasted time. All right, so how would you as a manager handle this situation? Think about what you would say and how and who you would say it to. What questions might you ask? All right, so that's the situation that we need to role play. Yeah. Ooh. Yep, I've been through this. <laughs> I think we've all been through this in one way or another. You've either been Cal or you've been Cindy and Janet. Yeah. <laughs> or both at different times. All right, so one of the things that we did when we got into our groups, you know, because we had small groups once we were, we were all assigned, you know, we had, like I said, you know, and this was in one of the cases where we're in a, a larger group. And so we broke up into, I believe, believe it was like groups of four and each of us had a scenario to read through. And this one happened to be our, uh, mine. And um, so when we read through it, you know, first of all, we kind of like broke it down and, you know, went, you know, case by case. And it's just like, all right, well, you know, what's going on? You know, some people were kind of role played, like, you know, who Cal was, um, you know, and kind of like where Cal was coming from. And others, you know, were in the Cindy Janet role and others were in the manager's role. And, um, you know, so we kind of played it in all sorts of different, you know, avenues of approach because, you know, there, typically there are, you know, many sides to the story when it comes to, you know, kind of like you know, conflict or whatever. But, um, so, you know, I mean, we can, we can approach it in, in any different scenario or situation, but, uh, you know, just on first blush or first take, I mean, what do you guys think about what Cal's doing? I, I'm going to jump in real quick and just say that, you know, if you're, I'm, I'm going to apply this to my office because, we have, I don't know how many people I have in my location, probably about 250 people. And let's say half of those people, or maybe a little bit more are on teams working on projects. The rest is like uh, office support staff and most important, projects. the most important projects. All right. So, uh, <laughs> I, I would say that, you know, and I'm going to apply it to that situation because if you're talking about somebody who's leading a team of junior designers, I mean, it kind of fits. Right. And so, right. Cal, uh, likes to work alone is a red flag to me. Oh, absolutely. And, and the reason I say that, I mean, that, that works in some offices, but it doesn't work in my situation. Uh, and, and so I can definitely see some parallels with different personalities in the office because there are personalities who do like to work alone, but if they're leading a team of junior designers, that becomes problematic. It's tough. There's a lot of lone rangers out there and they, and they do their best work that way. And I don't want to diminish that because because that's an honest, you know, that, that is how some people like to work. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, you, you've, you've kind of honed in on one of the things that I honed in on, you know, almost immediately is like you have Cal who, you know, is the senior designer in this situation, but he's supposed to be leading. And again, you know, big air quotes, leading the junior staff of designers, but he likes to work yeah, alone. It's hard then he shouldn't technically be leading. Yep. You said he was a senior designer. It says in the scenario he's a talented designer. Doesn't necessarily mean he's the If he's senior... leading a team of junior designers, he is. If he's leading a team, then he's the senior designer in this okay, situation. Okay, right, fair enough. And you know, regardless of, you know, where he's at, you know, he's the talented designer that is, you know, leading other people, but if he likes to work alone, you know, the first thing you know, I kind, of, I kind of put it back on, you know, going into my mind of, you know, being a project manager and stuff. And it's just like, well, if I knew, you know, if I know Cal is like the lone wolf that likes to work alone, you know, I need to work within the realms of, you know, his limitations of, um, you know, not basically being a leader, but being a contributor to the team in some fashion and find somebody else because you're not really ever going to foster any type of leadership out of Cal right. or any kind of like mentorship out of Cal because he doesn't, to me, he doesn't want to be part. He doesn't want to be in that role. He wants to be He's a not designer, wired for that, but role, he doesn't want, potentially. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. 
Yeah. So then as far as it comes down to like the communication issue here where Cindy and Janet have complained to me that Cal has not shared information with them, nor does he copy them on emails to the client, um, which has led to other problems, right? Duplication of effort, wasted time. Right. Um, and I think, I think one of the How many times have we been through that? other things that I'm, I'm reading into it would be that Cindy and Janet don't really have ownership in the project because they're not privy to the information that's going on. Right. So they're probably feeling right. like, like they just don't know what's going on. They don't feel like they get to own the project in a way that Cal's kind of hoarding the information to himself. Right. So I'm reading right. into it a little bit, but that's what, that's what we get to do because this is, well, you know, and the, yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, if you think about it, I mean, that it is scenarios that we've, you know, probably all dealt with in our careers one way totally. or another that, you know, when you have somebody who is somewhat the lone wolf on a project team and they're doing it, or you have, you know, multiple like leaders, um, that are on the project together and, you know, one person's doing one aspect of a project, one person's doing another aspect of it. And if they're not fully communicating through that and, you know, you, you start to feel a little bit marginalized, you know, the right. people like say Cindy and Janet don't really feel like they're, you know, valued as part of the project team because they're basically you know, they're not being involved with, you know, decision-making. They're not being involved with the information sharing to the client. They're not being involved with, you know, a lot of things. And so when they're doing work and, you know, I, I can just imagine, I, I can see the scenario where, you know, Cindy and Janet are working on a task that um, Cal's feeling like, well, you know, they're not really up to that task. So he's going to do mm -hmm. that task. And now you literally have two different people doing the exact same thing the project is never really going to progress forward because, you know, Cal could be working on higher, you know, um, like, you know, bigger picture things while, you know, the junior staff are maybe working on working through details or something like that or vice versa, you know, and, you know, where maybe Cal likes to get hyper into like, you know, detailing something out and, you know, there's different ways that you could, you know, the manager themselves could deal with um, how to utilize them. I mean, you know, it kind of puts an interesting, um, a lot of onus on the manager themselves of, of understanding what, um, you know, what the team's capabilities are and how to actually manage them. Um, because, it, you know, it's just, it, it, yeah. So, all right, so let's get down to the, the, the meat of this. So how would you as a manager handle this, this situation? So, you know, I've been in this situation before, and I think that fire Cal. Well, one of the one of the things you can't do is fire Cal. <laughs> you've got to you've got to make sure. Quit anyway because he's not happy. <laughs> I like how you you know I don't need to deal with this because he's not going to be here long. Uh, I, I, well, you know, you I mean he may be very well right, but you know the the problem is is that you know Cal's misery is making you know your yes. life and Cindy yeah. and Janet's life miserable as well. Uh, I'm 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 adding a little uh, oh I know realism here. here to to the scenario because this exact same thing happened. In, That's one situation. At, the other situation me, yes. is they stay there and they just continue to do this over and over yes. and over and over yes. again. And yep. and so so what do you do? You show leadership. Right. You show leadership right yeah. here because you've got to get Cindy, Janet and Cal all into the same room at the same time and say, here's what I'm observing. This is going on. And the way that we do things here, you know, people like us do things like this. We share information. We all get ownership in the project. And if if for some reason Cal doesn't think that Cindy and Janet are as capable or committed to the project as he is, he needs to give them responsibility. Now, do you say that to all three of them, or do yes. you talk to Cal specifically about that particular thing? I think you have to pull them all in so that everybody has accountability here. Yes. Because if you don't pull everybody in, then it just becomes a he said, she said kind of a thing, and mm -hmm. and it becomes very Thank much a, right. a gossip kind of a situation. Where if all three are in the same place at the same time, that accountability is established so that as things move forward, we can actually test and see if it's working or not. Now, how as the manager, do you leader? Do you leader? Well, no. In this particular case, it's okay. manager. Fair enough. Um, 
And in, so as the manager in this situation, in your you've pulled all three of them in the room. And so, you know, now all four of you are in the room and talking about, um, do you facilitate the resolution or do you let basically all three of them have their say and let them kind of work it out, let them lead themselves into a solution that's, you know, um, or a resolution of the issues and stuff. I would personally at this point allow them to work out how it needs to work between them because everybody does have right. individual preferences when it comes to this thing. And at least those get to be expressed. And then we can always yes. tailor yeah. that back to the way we do things here so that the next time there's a team, everybody is on the same playing field as to how we do things here. Right. And I think that doesn't happen enough. I mean, this is a situation typed up and given out to groups to role play because it happens all the time. And because right. Right. not enough times is there actually a way and, and it doesn't mean that, you know, there are these are the these are the rules and these are the way you have to do it. But but it's it's about making a culture of communication and about making a culture of right. shared ownership. And so like it's not even going to happen the first time you have this meeting, right, with these three people. It's it's going to be something that has to get worked out over time. Not everybody's just going to snap into shape and do it the quote unquote right way. Um, but but it's got to be something that's established over and over and over again. And I would assume that this is probably this same issue is going to come up again, and then you've got to have that meeting again and that uncomfortable meeting. Well, well, yeah, absolutely. You know. And the interesting thing about this is, you know, um, going about it uh, by pulling all three of them together and having the conversation as a group, you know, it kind of, you, you know, you have these, if you do it separately, you know, if you go to the, you know, pulling Cal off separately and you have that and you, you know, go to the he said, she said type scenario, you know, it's really hard to kind of, you know, work through those things, but to kind of put them all in the same room together, each person is, as you said, holding each other accountable for, you know, Cal can say, okay, you know, I, I feel like you're unable to complete this task. And so I do, you know, I would like to do that. And then they would be able to say, so, so, no, you know, I more, you know, they actually can have the conversation and the dialogue and, you know, hopefully you're there to kind of just mediate it, a little bit and make sure that, you know, everybody stays professional about it, but not really um, interjecting too much because, you know, as you said, you know, we, they're trying to work through this situation because it, it really is a situation between the, th the three of them, you know, and you're not really there to be the problem solver. You're there to be the mediator at best. Um, and so, you know, and it holds people like Cal accountable for, you know, his actions and the way that he treats people and, you know, and the lack of communication and things like that. And so he realizes, okay, I see that, you know, the way that I do things that, you know, work best for me aren't really the way that things work for the team. You know, and Cal may say, you know, hey, I just can't work this way. And, you know, Neil gets what he wants and Cal's <laughs> out of there, you know. <laughs> Or, you know, but the problem is, is that if you kind of ignore it or if you just kind of um, try to troubleshoot it, you know, in a manner that might not actually work for the the team, you know, it may actually work, you know, to a greater disadvantage that you lose both Cindy and Janet. They're like, you know what, totally. this is a bad situation. I'm out of here. Or what I've seen happen, which I think is kind of tragic, is that nobody says anything and then just nobody wants to work with Cal ever. Right, exactly. If we just keep beating around the bush here and saying, okay, well, Cal can have this special project because then that way he doesn't have to work with anybody, doesn't help anybody, doesn't help the firm, and it just right. creates further problems down the road. And so this is the kind of thing that actually has to be dealt with in an ongoing basis mm -hmm. because you can't have a bunch of people that nobody wants to work with who all get to do whatever they want whenever they want to do it, right? And and right. We, we've all seen that happen too, I think. So if if you start to create a culture of not addressing issues like this, yeah, Cindy and Janet will never want to work with Cal again. Um, yeah. Cal will just find other people who are not as capable or committed, right? Because that's what he does. <laughs> right. He'll find another person right, to complain exactly. about. Right, and, exactly. And those people do leave, right? If, if the morale is really bad with this person, with Cal all the time, everybody who works with Cal ends up leaving the company because – 
nobody wants to work with Cal or there's not enough other projects to work on. Right. It's a huge problem. I One of the books I would recommend reading, uh, one that I read last year, is called Radical Candor. And this mm-hmm. book is just based on you know, just being honest, right? And, and, and it gives specific strategies and ways to do that where – I think the longer that we're out of school where we all went through this and I, you know, this is generalizing, but we all went through this process of learning how to get a thick skin, right? Going through crits and juries and all that kind of stuff. And you had to defend your ideas and you had to explain why you're passionate about this particular thing in this way. And we either, either you figured that out or you didn't, whatever. But I think the longer that we're out of school, the thinner our skin gets over time and it becomes a thing where we actually a lot of people avoid these kinds of situations as much as they can because they're not comfortable um and so this book radical candor by kim kim scott um i'll put a link to it in the show notes it's a great book about how to be real with the people that you're working with and how to call people on the carpet in in really approachable ways so that things get better i mean that's always we've talked about the jury and the critique process on this show before. And the goal is to make the thing better. And and that doesn't, Mm -hmm. that, that applies in this situation too, right? We're trying to make the situation better. We're trying to move forward and make progress and not continue to do things in the way that this has been presented. So I would recommend that book. It's been, it's been a fantastic tool for situations like this, that people have to deal in leadership situations. Interesting. Like it. Yeah. I'll send a link to you guys. And put them in the show notes. So since we're mentioning books, I'm going to mention one that I think could assist in uh, some guidelines. Evan, I like what you said, having the three people in there and setting the leadership goal, which is this is how we do things here, right? And then allowing them to work their way through it, to me, makes a lot of sense. Is You have set the goal. You've set the leadership, what I'll, I'll call the leadership goal for the firm. And then they work it out amongst themselves. I, I, I like that approach. And then one of the books I'm going to mention is one that I listen to every few years or so when I think I, I need a refresher, which is a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. I don't know. Uh, the title to me sounds, how is it? Cheesy? Well, no, not, not, not cheesy. Just... Um, it sounds a little harsh, right? Like it's it a- sounds harsh. Yeah, it sounds, yeah. sounds a little harsh. But what it's really trying to do is get you to think a little differently about how you approach people and how you uh, deal with situations much like this. So I think there's some lessons in, in this book that would help with this situation, which is you know some of the fundamentals which is not criticizing or condemning or complaining and being sincere appreciation and then basically one of the the fundamental techniques in handling people the third one is arouse in other people other person an eager want so i mean mm-hmm. taking those three approaches here in this situation right not criticizing cal cindy or janet for doing what they do right they're their own people that this is who they are. So you can't criticize them because if they do, then they're going to get defensive and you have a three-way bitch session essentially, which is right. what you're trying to avoid, avoid. Yep. And then being appreciative, they're all bringing something to the party, right? And you have to communicate that. And then you have to find a way to make them eagerly want to work together. Right. And that's, I think part of, setting the leadership goal here that you said stated at the beginning here is this is our goal and we want them to get to that goal because if they don't want to have that goal, then they're working in the wrong firm. I think is what we're getting to is what you were talking about is they're either going to like this, right? You're setting the culture of the firm. Exactly. And if they don't like that culture, if they don't like this expectation, that we, that you have as is the culture of the firm, then it's time to move on. Right, right. And they'll realize that themselves, right? Because well, you're you're stating the goal here, the leadership role, and you're telling them this is the way we do things, right? How do you guys work that out? They they can work that out, but if they choose not to, then that then then they 
then they'll go somewhere else. Well, but I think there needs to be a little bit of flexibility in the way things are done. You know, if there are, you know, if you've got Cal, the big talented designer, and you've got a bunch of junior designers who are probably equally as talented, you know, and there's different ways of working with them that are somewhat out of the norm or the standard of the office, you know, at least you set, you know, going back to what Evan was talking about is, you know, you're setting the standard for what is typically done in the office, but the flexibility needs to be there to say, okay, this is how we typically do this. But as a manager, as a leader of the project, you know, you need to recognize what are people's strengths and limitations and kind of work with those. So you have a little bit of flexibility, a little bit of, you know, um, deviation from, from the standard. I'm not saying, you know, completely throw the the standards out, you know, it's just like, how do you, how do you work with people's limitations within, you know, kind of the standards? Well, the way I was listening to Evan's comments were not so much uh, one, two, three step. This is how we do things necessarily as here are the goals we have. In other words, we communicate, we do this, we do that. And how exactly you do that is up to you guys to work out. Right. So you, I, what I'm saying is, yes, yeah. they have the ultimate no, flexibility right. yeah. Yeah. to to reach the goal. How do you reach the goal? That's for them to decide. And you can be as flexible as you want, but everybody yeah. has to understand yeah. we communicate here. We share responsibilities. Yeah, what you're talking about, right? Neil, is you're talking about values, right? You're, and that's what's important. Yeah, okay, you, yes. You don't need to worry yes. about yes. communicating exact ways of doing things or behaviors. It's like, here are the values and why they're important. How can right. you guys fit, make that fit, right? Right. Yeah, and and, and, and I was going to say, I mean, you 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 started off saying standard, and that that was kind of what I was reacting to. But then you you know kind of like retacted to say, you know, the project goals or or you know the goals that we're trying to achieve, and and that's really how the it should always be kind of presented at the beginning of it. it's like these are the project goals, these are the project expectations, and here's what we need to do to meet them. It doesn't mean that, you know, this is the one, two, three pattern of, you know, how you go about achieving it, but these are the goals that we set out and, you know, your strengths and your weaknesses are what's going to get us there, you know, one way or the other. You know, like I always say, it's like, okay, when you sit down um, and start talking about project expectations at the very beginning of the thing, one of the things that we like to do is always talk about um, you know, and we actually talked about it in this particular scenario when we were in the, in our group is sitting down at the very jump of a project saying, you know, what do, what are the, you know, these are the goals and expectations of the overall project. Now, what are the goals and expectations that each person would like to get out of the project as they move forward? Because, you know, then as the leader of the project, you're able to base, basically put people in their in the right situations where, you know, if they are going to be working with Cal, what do they want to get out of working with Cal? You know, how do these junior designers then um, learn from Cal in the best way possible? And now we know that, you know, Cal's not, uh, you know, a big team player. So you know, maybe we don't necessarily put him in a mentoring or leadership role, but in a role that, you know, provides as much guidance to the project as we possibly can, but also, you know, kind of works within the limitations or the kind of like preferences of, of Cal, you know? And so, you know, being able to like, kind of like lay all of those goals and expectations out at the very beginning, both on the macro level and the micro level, you know, it it works towards, you know, having a more successful project and, you know, Everybody probably won't be, you know, getting to the point where, you know, they're they're at a point of quitting because the team isn't functioning right. You know, everybody knows what everybody's trying to get out of it. And and hopefully as professionals, we're working towards, you know, enabling everybody to be able to have those, um, you know, those successes on the project and not kind of being roadblocks. Yeah. So this is just one situation that you get to deal with on a weekly basis. And uh, welcome to the firm. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, There's so many more. Exactly. So many more. Uh, You know, I I really actually, you know, to go back to this, I really kind of totally dug the way that, you know, these case um, scenarios were kind of like led to us because, you know, you did have the opportunity to sit down in a group with, you know, a variety of different experiences and go through all of those. 
and um and I thought it was uh you know you know rather enlightening um because we were able to learn from you know okay so how does the president of the company who she's got you know maybe 25 30 years of experience in you know the profession versus somebody who's got maybe 15 years of experience and versus somebody who may have 5 years of experience and so you're coming to it from a variety of different viewpoints mm-hmm. and a variety of different experiences and you can both learn from and, you know, take away and, and kind of grow. And, and, you know, maybe, maybe the experience from somebody who's only got five years of experience as maybe, you know, the person who was in the, the Cindy and Janet situation, maybe the, you know, the person who's got the 30 years of experience can learn from that and say, Oh, okay. So this is the way, you know, the, the, the kids of, I don't want to say kids of today, the, 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 the younger staff, you know, this is the way that they're, um, the way that they work. And, you know, the way that I used to work when I was in their, um, situation, you know, their level of like, five years or less, is completely different than when I was there. So, you know, let me learn from, you know, their new experiences and stuff like that. So it, it was really kind of refreshing to see so many different sure. viewpoints and, and understand how, you know, you know, cause it's like, Leadership isn't linear. It's, you know, you know, leading up, leading down, you know, learning from Lead all from of the different, you, you know, yep. from everybody. Ex- yeah. Exactly. And, and so it was, it was really great to kind of go through these scenarios. Cool. All right. So shall we move on to the, uh, the next topic? Sure. So we got a, a write in from a friend of the show and basically what they wanted to know was they heard that they can obtain an architect license with a two-year architecture technology degree instead of having to complete a professional architecture degree. So they would like to get our opinion on this matter, whether it's true or not. And if it's true, what are the pros and cons of becoming an architect without getting a professional degree in architecture? You know, as we were talking about this as being one of the topics, um, I have a very good friend who started architecture school. And he was, um, you know, through circumstances and stuff, got, you know, a year or two into his degree and unfortunately had to drop out of school to take care of things and earn money and and things like that. Like, you know, life circumstances happen to everybody. But he never really left architecture. He uh, got a job as a draftsman um, with an architecture firm. And worked his way up uh, through the years, you know, and it just life kept happening. So you know, he really couldn't go back and and finish his degree. But he started off as a draftsman, then was working as you know a project architect and and doing a lot of you know let's use the term architect in this particular case. You know, he was a he was a project designer and was working on that, and then you know started working his way up in as a, a project manager and. You know, through the course of, you know, 13, 15 years has gained a lot of very valuable experience on how to manage a project, how to detail a project, how to work with clients and, and manage clients. And, you know, every, almost everything that I do, he does. He doesn't have a degree. I have a degree. There is nobody I would, you know, trust on a project more than this guy. I mean, he absolutely knows everything about it. Whether or not he's got the strengths in the design based off of the design as it was, you know, taught to us with like, you know, the the limitless possibilities and the way that, you know, we like stretch our minds in architecture school. And I, I think that's one of the values that we get from architecture school is when we are given projects with, you know, limitless opportunities, it lets us go in any and every direction. So we're thinking about so many different things. When we get into the profession, then, you know, we're kind of faced with all of these constraints and we don't, you know, maybe we don't fully explore every opportunity that we would because we know that, okay, well, you know, I'd really love to go in this direction, but I know how expensive that direction is. And so maybe I'm going to taper back my expectations and I'm going to kind of approach it this way, you know? And so, it, I, I don't know, you know, where, you know, where he's at, you know, design wise, you know, when it comes to things like that. But I know that, you know, in his particular case, there's, you know, nobody that I would, 
you know, would trust more to be able to take a project from scope studies all the way through to construction administration. And the limitation that he's faced in his career because he doesn't have his degree was, um, you know, was a challenge that he had to meet and exceed and basically show everybody that just because I don't have a degree, I can do this job to, you know, a hundred percent. So fast forward to, um, I got a text from him yesterday. Um, he finished his second to last test, um, for the ARES in the state of Maryland, you can sit for your ARES after 10 years of work experience under the guidance of a licensed architect. And, um, so NCARB will recognize your your hours. Um, there's 10 years, 10 years. So, so after 10 years, um, of working the profession and he's got to meet all of the AXP goals that everybody else does. Um, there's a few more challenges that he, you know, a few more hurdles that he had to go through. And he has more than 10 years of experience, but he's got 10 years of experience. Think about, you know, how much experience you actually gain over the course of 10 years and all of the different scenarios and everything else. Um, And, uh, you know, I know a lot of the projects that he's worked on because we work together. And so I know that a lot of the challenges that he's faced, a lot of people don't even face challenges like that you know, throughout their entire career and, you know, as a degree uh, professional. So, um, you know, so yes. So basically that is a very long example of you are able to um, get a architectural license, but there are a lot of hoops that you have to jump through. And there's a lot of proof of, you know, experience and understanding that you have to go through just before you're able to actually, you know, get all of your, uh, criteria for, um, for getting your AXP accepted and, and things like that. But like I said, you know, I mean, we've, we've had, we've heard numerous stories of people who go through the apprentice type programs and don't really have degrees. I mean, you know, we go through history of all these different, right. you know, our architects, architects that don't have degrees in architecture, but we masters. still study them. Yeah. We still, you know, revere them as, you know, as masters. And, you know, so it is absolutely um, able to. I mean, because, I mean, think about it. I mean, architecture is just as much a state of mind as it is a degree, you know, a piece of paper in hand. So, you know, I, I will answer f- just from my own. And, and I've actually, I've worked for um, and have been mentored by several people who only have, um, you know, what would, I guess it would be right. a bachelor of science right. in architecture, which is only a four year like degree, you put it down there by not the full. The word so like, and I, I was, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, so like, like I have a bachelor's of architecture, so I've got the five year professional degree, um, which you know, qualifies me to, you know, sit for the, my exams and all of that other stuff almost immediately afterwards. Whereas people who have a bachelor's of architecture, I mean, sorry, a bachelor's of science in architecture, like in the state of Maryland, I know in the state of Florida, yeah, you cannot sit state. for your uh, licensure um, with so just you your, your bachelor's of science in architecture. Right. So you go get your master's degree and then, then you qualify for it. So it's, you know, you're, you're, post-professional degree. Um, and then there's your professional degree level, and then there's your, your four-year level. And so in certain jurisdictions, you can sit for it with just the four-year degree. And in this, in the case of my friend, you can sit for it without a degree. I mean, he's got a degree, but it's just not in architecture. And, um, and he's got all of the experience and, and everything else that we, that anybody would expect a licensed architect to have. And, um, hopefully in a few short weeks, I will be getting another text from him. Cool. Um, it says I am done. Yeah. I'm sure with a few colorful words like. added to it, but except you know. when you do it, you don't tell anybody. So, <laughs> cause that is very much what it's like. <laughs> All right, Neil, what do you got from, for, for our, our friend of the show? Well, the first thing I'd point out is 
what's great about this profession is that there are many aspects to it and many ways to be involved in it. And this is another way, right? You don't have to do the traditional four-year, two-year program or five-year program, IDP or AAR, what do they call it? AXP. AXP now. and, And you don't necessarily have to do everything the way you traditionally do it and you can still be someone who contributes to the architectural profession. Let's put it that way. And so I, I think that's what's great about our profession is that, and, and all of those people, and we've, we've talked a little bit about this in previous episodes, is that all of those people are necessary to our profession, right? Everybody from the person doing the, the CAD or the BIM drawings all the way up to, as we were talking earlier, the leader of the firm or the manager or somebody like that. And they all have different requirements or special skills. And, and so I think that uh, in this case, someone who has a two-year architectural technology degree and then gets the experience and then goes on to become licensed, I think that they're all very valuable because you're bringing a different sort of perspective to to the profession and i think it's all valuable and and i think i i've seen uh i've worked with people that haven't done it the traditional way and they're leaders of firms or leaders at firms i should say but most people do it the more traditional way and that's fine so um, i would just say that i think it's great that our profession you can be involved in it and not have to do the traditional way and I think it's totally valid. And I think once you get to a a, a point, as, as Cormac was mentioning, his, his friend's 10 years of experience, much like, I mean, some people, I, it's rare somebody asks me, hey, where'd you go to school? Uh, it's more, what have you done? What sort of projects have you done? Stuff like that. It, it's sort of like your high school GPA becomes really irrelevant once you finish college. Once you get into college, once you get into college, yeah, I, maybe I should say it that way. Yeah, yeah. But the point is, is that these certain things, how you gained your experience, becomes less important once you have that experience. Yeah, there's so many ways to get there. Yeah, and that and that's actually, you know, you bring a point. It's the good thing about this profession is there are avenues of, you know, becoming a licensed architect that don't follow the traditional path. And like I said, you know, we've, we study and revere, you know, numerous architects like, you know, let's say Ando, you know, is a great example of one that, you know, has just got such a prolific career in architecture. And, you know, we've got, you know, coffee table books of his work and all of this other stuff. Never went to school. Awesome. He was a boxer, (laughs) you know, (laughs) And, you know, and so, you know, and he fought his way into architecture and a book, don't you know, pun intended. Sweet. Exactly. But I mean, you know, so it's, I, I really do appreciate the fact that, you know, they, you know, that we do have the opportunity to, because, you know, this guy, you know, um, my friend is an example, you know, he's contributed a lot to a lot of really good and successful projects and, you know, to basically deny him, you know, a piece of paper just because he didn't go to school um, when, you know, he's met every criteria of, you know, any other registered architect. Um, It's not to, you know, it's not to diminish the traditional, you know, methods of going through it because obviously we all did it and we, you know, I, I wouldn't give up going to, you know, Auburn architecture school for nothing. I mean, I absolutely love the experience and I loved what it gave me. But, you know, there are other ways of doing it and that are still equally as valuable to this profession. And, you know, the at the end of the day, I mean, aren't we really wanting the best people in this profession, the people who are really going to work their ass off and people who come up through the trenches in a very non-traditional manner? They're the ones who show the grit and the gumption to really work their ass off for this profession. If you ask somebody how you should do it, they're going to tell you how they did it, right? And that isn't necessarily yeah. going to serve you the best. So I, I would say to to our listener that 
you've got to design your life and spend the time how you want to spend it. So if you want to go to design school, then that's what you need to focus on. If you want to focus on the technical aspects of architecture, do that. If you want to learn how to program and then apply that in architecture, do that. I think that picking one way based on what somebody else says to do is not going to serve you the best. And so I think that that kind of falls under what Cormac was just saying about the people with the gumption and actually kicking butt in this profession later on is they're, they're coming at it from a different mm -hmm. life set of life experiences that makes them who they are and makes them amazing architects, quote unquote, whether they actually are or not, because we all know that you don't have to actually get licensed in this company in this um, profession, and if and even if you if you decide never to get licensed, you can still hire licensed architects to do the work that you want to do. I mean, because we we treat schools and the AREs and everything is treated as though you are going to become a sole practitioner, right? You go through an education, you go through pro practice class, you go through engineering right. class, right. like structural engineering, you go through all these things, you go through all these design studios as if you are the sole decision maker doer of all. Um, and then there's those of us who've gone on to work in larger firms where we know that we play a, you know, relatively small part, specific part to the bigger whole. And we don't get to do it all and nor should we, right? You want to let people apply their strengths to right. make the, the complete team. Um, and so I think that, Another thing you probably want to think about beyond how do you want to spend your time over the next five to ten years, um, because you can do it in California too, right? You can, I think it's seven years here. If I, if that's just what my memory is pulling up. I don't know if that's true or not. You'd have to look. But um, you could become a licensed architect going to technical school and then, you know, interning and working and in the profession under a licensed architect and getting all those hours signed off and doing all those things. But again, is that is that how you want to do it? Because there are so many ways that you can approach this profession. It it doesn't. I, I think you should think about how you want to spend your time, and also how much debt you want to incur. Right, right. That's definitely something that not enough people think about, and they're going to work their entire career paying that off. Right. To go to some prestigious architecture school. So. I almost said pretentious and prestigious at the same time. <laughs> it, it's one of those pretentious. Yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's one of those things, though, that you need to think about because it, do you want to spend the next 30 years paying off your school loan so that you can call yourself a licensed architect? I don't know. Like, I can't decide that for you, but you that's something that you should think about. One of the one of the interviews that I heard on, a, on another podcast, Friends of Ours at Inside the Firm, Alex Gore interviewed... Phil Reed at Autodesk University, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes, but he is, I don't know if, if you guys recognize that name or not, but he's one of the early people at Revit before Autodesk bought them. Um, and so he's he's played a big role in a lot of architects' day jobs, and they may or may not know his name, right? But he's definitely contributed to this profession mm -hmm. and continues to. He's right. involved at Enscape now. Everybody's using Enscape. Everybody uses Revit. He uh, actually has his own kind of. Oh, nice! Yeah, I, I want to say investment company now. That's um, it's called Reed Thomas, but his name's Phil Reed, and and I would look him up. I'll, I'll link to the to the show, but he basically lays out this whole exact scenario that our listener is writing about. Like this is how he thinks more people should approach the profession to get what they want out of it instead of waiting around and paying the dues and, you know, all that terrible, horrible stuff that have to work with Cal, you know, <laughs> who wants to work with Cal. Right. Um, so, so I think, I think that there's definitely value in at least listening to some of these different options and then really just take a hard look and design your own path right. and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. I mean, that's one of those things that again, Everybody's going to tell you how they would do it and how you should do it, but I don't think that they really know your particular set of circumstances or what you want to get out of the profession or how you want to contribute to it. And those are all things that, man, I wish I wish I could go back in time and reconsider how I did everything. I mean, I may not be the same person that I am today, but it would be cool to have that as an exercise, to at least go through and say, here's how I want to contribute. Here's what I want to do. Because, number one, I would have... 
never figured out where I am today from back then, but I also just kind of did it the way that everybody else did it. And I don't necessarily think that that has served me the best um, because, you know, it took me 17 years to get my license. So if your goal is to get licensed, which is what the letter sure makes it sound like, it's like, well, what's the fastest path to that versus the cost, right? Right. So you go to a state school, right? pay as little as you can, or go to the technical school and pay the dues. And so the cost is less, but it takes a little bit longer, right? So there's there's lots of things to weigh there. Um, there's all – you can go to schools now where you can get licensed right out of school, right? And NCARB started that up a few years ago. So um, there's so many different ways to do it. How do you want to spend your time getting there I think is, is something definitely worth thinking about. All good points. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap this one up. Remind everyone that this episode is brought to you by RCAT. Thanks to them. We appreciate it. The music is by System Kid. You can subscribe to Arcaspeak on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or listen directly from our site at arcaspeakpodcast.com. You can follow the show on social media via Twitter and Facebook, and links to all of this can be found at over at the site at arcaspeakpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and stay subscribed. See ya. Have a good one.